Well, Dan, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say, I'm not sure how I could follow uh, up up that and beat that. But uh, uh, kids, that was awesome. Really enjoyed that. Um, So this morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series, uh, Lord, Teach Us How to Pray. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you grab them at this point in time. We're actually going to be in several different places. And so if you want to sort of maybe earmark a few places, uh, we're going to begin in the book of James. So if you want to start there, that's where we're going to begin. We'll also be in the book of First John. We will also be in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And if you have to find the index, no shame there, but Habakkuk. And then we'll close uh, in Second Corinthians. So we'll sort of be in various places uh, in the Holy Scriptures this morning as we continue uh, to look at different aspects of prayer. If you've been with us, we've been looking at different types of prayer uh, in the in the Bible. And this morning, we'll continue along uh, in that theme. And so, let's turn to James chapter 4, is where we're going to begin. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and then we'll dive in. James chapter 4. So church, let's pray, if you would. Father, we praise you for the ability that we have to lift our voices to you in song. God, we recognize that in Scripture that um, your people has has always been a singing people, and that we always have been a people that because of your overwhelming grace in our lives, that we can't help but sing uh, your praise and your glory, and it is our deepest delight to do that. And so thank you that we can just express that this morning in in, in anticipation of all eternity, where we will be gathered around your throne, giving you glory and praise forever and ever. Lord, it is also a privilege now to turn to your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you have not remained silent, but that you have revealed yourself to us in many ways. And one of those ways is this book that we have in our lap. And we're so grateful that it is God-breathed, that it is inspired and altogether trustworthy and true, and that we can bank our eternity upon it and base our lives um, upon it here and now. And I pray that you would teach us as we continue to look at prayer in the scriptures that we would be a praying people individually as followers of Christ, that that prayer would be the air that we breathe. But not only that, but that corporately we too would be a people that gather together to seek your face. And so teach us, we pray, by the power of your spirit, according to your word. And we ask this in the name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Well, the year was 1991, and this song hit the number one on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart, and it spent over 30 weeks as the number one song. You can see the album that it came from on the screen behind me. It was from an album entitled No Fences. Uh, You may be familiar with that guy. In this song... uh, the author tells a story of a man who is uh, going to a high school football game, and there he runs into his high school sweetheart. And so he begins to reminisce about how he really wanted uh, to marry her, and he prayed, God, would you make her mine? But in retrospect, he sings about how he is thankful that God didn't answer that prayer, that God gave him his wife instead. And the chorus goes something like this, just Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. You can get away with language like that in country songs, right? Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are what, you know? 
Unanswered Prayers. Okay, so of course, this is the song Unanswered Prayers by a very young Garth Brooks. We can move on from his image. The song, the song raises the question that we'll be addressing from the scripture this morning. The question goes something like this. What about unanswered prayer? That is to say, when God says no to our prayer requests. Maybe better stated, why is it that God might say no to our prayers? I don't know about you, but I think sometimes dealing with God in prayer can be a confusing thing. It can be discouraging at times, I think, when we continually pray, and sometimes the answer is no. The late president of Dallas Seminary writes on his own struggles with unanswered prayer, and maybe you can relate. He once wrote, The answered prayers, that is in his life, have built my faith, strengthened my walk with God, and have given me hope in the midst of perplexing problems. But he goes on to write, But the silence of God creates tension for me. I find God's silence difficult or sometimes impossible to explain. Why are some prayers unanswered? That is the question that is before us. He continues, I find my answers to those perplexing questions in the Bible. The same scriptures that assure us God will answer prayer also explain why some of our prayers are seemingly unanswered. And so this morning, we'll go rather quickly as I have seen at least seven reasons why from the scriptures, at times, God says no to the prayers of his children. There likely are more than seven, but these are the seven that seemingly were dominant as I looked throughout the scriptures. And so friends, why, why might God say no to my prayers? Why might God say no to your prayers? Well, seven reasons that I see from the scriptures. And the first is found in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and it is simply this. Sometimes God says no to our prayers simply because we don't ask him. A teacher once asked, a Sunday school teacher once asked a little boy in her class, Johnny, I, I want you to tell me the truth now. I want you to be honest with me. Do you say your prayers before you eat dinner? You say your prayers before dinner? To which Johnny, I think, cleverly replied, he says, I don't have to. My mom is a really great cook. Good logic there, Johnny, right? Um, Okay, so this might be sort of the Captain Obvious answer to the question, why does God say no to our prayers? Well, simply because we don't ask. But that's where we begin. And so in James chapter 4, he says this, starting in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. And then he says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And so James is addressing these quarrelsome Christians And he says, you know, one of the reasons why your prayers aren't answered is because instead of turning to God with your desires, these Christians were turning on one another. They were fighting and quarreling. And James simply asserts 
that one foundational reason for unanswered prayers is simply, you have not because you ask not. You know, at times, I think that our desires, our, our wants, our, our needs simply remain sort of in that wish stage, uh, that, that, that desire stage, right? It, it never progresses into prayer. In fact, one author puts it this way. He says, is it not true that one of the great problems of our prayer lives is simply that we don't pray? James seems to assert that. In the words of the hymn that we'll sing here momentarily, what, what a friend we have in Jesus, talks about this. It says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because what? Do you know it? We do not carry everything to God in prayer. And so the foundational answer that we begin with from James chapter 4, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we don't pray. Because we are not bringing our wishes, our desires, our needs uh, from that level to the actual asking of our Heavenly Father. So why are there unanswered prayers? Well, one reason could be that we're simply not asking. But James continues. Take a look at James chapter 4, verse 3. We may have unanswered prayers not only because, well, we're not asking God, but James says, you may not have your prayers answered because you are asking for the wrong reasons. You have wrong motives. Notice he continues in verse 3. He says, when you ask, you do not receive. Why is that? Well, he's going to tell us. Because... You ask with wrong motives. Well, what do you mean, James, that we might ask with wrong motives? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so he's just said in verse 2, you don't uh, ask, right? You You don't have because you don't ask. And then on the heels of rebuking them for not asking, he then adds, well, in actuality, when you do ask, when you do bring your prayers to God, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. You're asking for the wrong thing. Here he explains and he defines wrong motives for us as spending what we would get if God answered those prayers, in his words, on our own pleasures. On our own pleasures. I don't think it's very hard for us if we begin to imagine It's not hard for us, I think, to think of examples in which it might be unwise for God to give us whatever it is we ask for. After all, we are finite, and we're fallen, and we're sinful human beings, and we are inclined towards the self, which is what sin does. It bends us inward, and so we're often inclined to ask God for rather foolish things. And so James says, hey, Sometimes you don't get because you don't ask. And, and, and sometimes when you do ask, you don't get it because you're asking with wrong motives. You simply want God to give you your own pleasures. One commentator by the name of Merrill Tinney, he writes about our motive in prayer and he says this. He says, in prayer, we call on Him to work out His purpose, not simply to gratify our whims. I think that fits nicely with what James says. He says, you have wrong motives. You're asking God to give you things so that you'll just get your own pleasures. You'll satisfy your own whims. 
A few weeks ago, my family and I uh, were with some friends, and we were able to watch the new Disney movie, uh, Aladdin. Maybe you've seen it before. Not the cartoon one, but the one with Will Smith, where he's blue. That one. And uh, Aladdin is probably my favorite cartoon Disney movie, and so I was eagerly anticipating uh, seeing the new Disney movie. Really enjoyed it, in case you wanted to know. And, uh, and, and I thought about this particular scene. There's a scene when Aladdin is in the Cave of Wonders, you may recall, right? And he's stuck, and he stumbles upon the lamp, and he happens to rub the lamp, and poof, out pops the genie, right? A blue version of Will Smith. And um, Will Smith then is trying to explain how the genie-master relationship works. And he actually sings a song, which is rather catchy, by the way, to explain to Aladdin you know, how this whole wish thing works. And I'm not going to sing it to you, much to your dismay, I know. I'm not going to sing it to you, but one of the line, I mean, it, it continually has this theme, but one of the line lines goes something like this. <clears throat> Will Smith says, See, all you got to do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Aladdin, sir, what will your pleasure be? Let me take your order. Jot it down. And then what did he say? You ain't never got a friend like me. That's right. Okay, we're not going to say. Uh, you ain't never got a friend like me, right? And, and it goes on and on and on. And so I thought of that in light of what James is saying here. He's saying, you're, you don't sometimes get what you ask for in prayer because you're treating me like a genie. Friends, this is not what prayer is like. God is the master and we are the slaves. He sets the agenda and we follow. He has a will. He has desires and we joyfully submit ours to His. And so when we pray with wrong motives for merely our own pleasures, James asserts that, well, that could be a reason why we have unanswered prayers. And that leads us then to a third reason. And this is in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles open, you can turn backwards in your Bible. It won't take long to get to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, to be more specific. The third reason that we see from the Scriptures why sometimes our prayers go unanswered is found in 1 John chapter 5, specifically verses 14 and 15. And the reason that John gives is this. We sometimes don't get what we ask for in prayer because we don't pray according to God's will. We don't pray according to His will. So let's pick it up in verse 14. John writes, this is the, this is the confidence we have in approaching God in prayer. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And then he continues. And if we know that He hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And so, let's start back in verse 14. In verse 14, John tells Christians, he says, we can have confidence in our prayer life, right? This is the confidence we have in approaching God. John, what is that confidence? He says, knowing that if we ask anything, and here's the important phrase, if we ask anything according to His will. So what happens if we as Christians pray according to His will? Well, notice two things. First of all, the tail end of verse 14. He says, number one, He hears us. So if we pray according to His will, number one, He hears us. And number two, on into verse 15. And second of all, 
that we know that we have what we asked of him. In other words, answered prayer. And so, friends, I think it stands to reason that if praying according to his will then means answered prayer, then praying not according to his will means what? Unanswered prayer, right? And so the real question in this text is, what is God's will? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and we know that what we have asked for, we, we have. And so what does it mean to pray according to his will? Well, I think here is when it's helpful for us to lean uh, lean on and to stand on the shoulders of Christians uh, of centuries past who have come before us. They are helpful here. Theologians throughout the centuries have often spoke of two aspects of the will of God. And so they speak of the revealed will of God and they speak of the secret will of God. The revealed will of God is often called his will of precept. The secret will of God is often called his will of decree. And so what do we mean by God's revealed will? Well, we simply mean this. God's revealed will is simply what we know of God's desires, his plans, his commandments, his precepts, if you will, as revealed to us in the scriptures. God's revealed will. In other words, he reveals to us in the Bible what he desires, what he, what he requires of us. And so that is very clearly uh, one aspect of God's will. So then to pray for things, follow me here, to then pray for things that are contrary to that will, to pray for things, to make it simple, that are contrary, that contradict what we see as God's will in Scripture, is a recipe for unanswered Prayers, But there's a second aspect, I believe, to God's will. A second way, a second way we could not pray according to His will, is that we pray contrary to His hidden will. His hidden will, His will of precept, if you will. A story before I explain that. A story is told of a, a co-worker, two co-workers, and uh, one of the co-workers had just pulled in to start his day of work, and he enters into his cubicle, and he says hello to his, his co-worker, how you doing? And the co-worker notices that he has a, a few donuts uh, with him for breakfast. And the co-worker is his friend, and he knows that uh, this particular gentleman had been on a diet and was trying to, to cut out some of the sugar. And so he says, hey man, what's, what's up with the donuts? You know, I, I, thought, I thought you were trying to lose some weight, you know? To which the man replied, well... It kind of went down like this. I, I was driving around the corner where the donut shop was, and I prayed. And I told God, God, if you want me to, to buy some donuts today, then as I pull into the parking lot, let there be a parking spot right in the front of the donut shop. You know that you've been there before, right? We've all probably been in his shoes. And so he said, so I pulled in, and the friend said, okay, I got it. You pulled in, and right there in the front, there was a, the greatest parking spot ever, Right? And the man said, well, not exactly. About the eighth time around, there was a parking spot. And so I, I, I thought God wanted me to have donuts. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, so the friend had a hunch. The man had a hunch that it was God's hidden will for him to have the donuts. So when we speak of God's hidden will, our creator's hidden will, it's unknowable to us. 
except for in retrospect. That is, we can look back at history, we can know the particulars of what the Lord has decreed, his, his will of decree, it's often called, because we know what has, what has happened. We know that God, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, if you're in our Sunday school class, you might have this memorized, we know that God, according to Ephesians 1, verse 11, Paul says, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And so there is God's revealed will, and there is his hidden will. And so let's think about unanswered prayers. These prayers of ours, then, that we can pray, go unanswered. Um, These prayers, when we pray, apparently not according to his hidden will. Not because we're asking God for something that's outside of his of, of, of the scriptures. In other words, it's not like we're, we're asking God for something contrary to his word, very clearly contrary to his will. But I think very often in our lives, uh, for those of us who are in Christ, uh, our, our prayers go unanswered simply because they're not uh, aligned with God's secret will. It, it's not his plan for us. It's not his purpose for us. And in these cases, although we may not understand it, it's hard, it's, it's not easy I think we need to trust our Heavenly Father, that that He knows what is best for us. He has a plan and a purpose not only for us, but but for all of creation. And we need to trust Him. One of my professors at seminary put it this way, and and I always remembered it and and appreciated it. He said, when we can't, um, we may not always know the mind of God, the will of God, but we can always trust His heart. And I've always remembered that and, and, and gone to that in times when we pray and God apparently says no. It's not because we're praying contrary to Scripture, but it's simply, it's not in His will. And so in James, he says, unanswered prayers come because we don't ask, or because we may ask with wrong, wrong motives. First John 5, because we don't pray according to His will. Let's jump back to the book of James. We're going back there. So back and forth we go. It's very easy to find because you've already been there before. James chapter 1 this time, where we see a fourth reason for unanswered prayer, James chapter 1, and it is because we don't pray in faith, or as James says, because when we pray, we doubt, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the story is told of a, a Scottish preacher by the name of Dr. Guthrie, he was a well-known Scottish preacher uh, many, many decades ago, and the story is told of one morning when Scotland was uh, experiencing a severe drought. And so in the morning worship service, he prayed that God would send rain. Uh, and so they went home for lunch. They adjourned for lunch. And I guess was in the custom of their denomination, they would come back that afternoon for a second worship service. And so after lunch, he had a daughter whose name was Mary. And as they were leaving the house to go back to church, Mary said to her, her dad, Here, here's the umbrella, Papa. And the, the famous preacher, Dr. Guthrie, said, what do we need it for? To which she replied, well, you prayed that it would rain this morning. Don't you expect that God will send it? And so he took the mild rebuke from his daughter, and he, he carried dutifully the umbrella. And of course, as the story goes, after church was done, as they walked back, they used it because the storms had come. James writes, starting in verse 6, He says, but when you ask, that is in prayer, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
blown and tossed by the wind. He writes, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Unanswered prayer, verse 8. Such a person, he says, is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. A little context to these verses, I think, is helpful to understand what's going on. And so, in in verse 2, starting in verse 2 and running through verse 4, James opens his wonderful, practical epistle. And he encourages them to, to, to count it all joy, right, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kind. And so he introduces uh, his epistle with the idea of Christians consider it joy when you go through hardship. And the reason that he gives them in verses 2 through 4 is because if handled correctly, trials can actually bring about Christian maturity. And so that's how he begins in verses 2 through 4. And then in verse 5, he says to the Christian that if you lack wisdom, and I take it to mean if you lack wisdom in doing this, if you lack wisdom in, in, in allowing uh, trials to make you mature in your faith, if you lack wisdom, then you need to ask God for it. Verse 5, ask God for wisdom, and he promises that God will give that Wisdom, And so in verse 5, there's a promise of God to Christians who are doing trial. If you ask God for wisdom to help you grow in that trial, God will give it. And so in light of that promise, James continues in verse 6, and he warns us that if we, uh, if we ask God for wisdom in trials, that we better believe. We must believe, the NIV says, the New American Standard says something like, we must ask in faith and not doubt. Clearly, he says, if we ask not in faith and if we doubt, what will be the result? Verse 7, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And so the key question we have to ask is, in prayer, what does it mean that we pray in faith? What, is it we, what does it mean that we pray believing? What does it mean that we pray and not doubt? I think a lot of Christians sometimes um, bear unnecessary, unnecessary guilt in this regard. What does it mean to ask in faith? I think Dr. Thomas Constable, one of my professors in seminary, I think he hits it on the head when he writes this. He says, in Scripture, asking in faith <clears throat> always means one of two things. It always means one of two things. It means either, one, believing God will do what he has promised, number one, or number two, if he has not promised it, believing that he can do what the person requesting is asking. So what is Dr. Constable suggesting? He's suggesting that praying in faith means, number one, if God has promised it, that that we believe what? that he will do it. Or, if we're asking something of God that he has not promised, we believe that he what? That he can do it. And in this case, in this particular context, in James, God had made a promise to give wisdom in trials. And so faith, in this context, means believing God will do what he promised. But I think for most of us, we want to know about the second category. What about the multitudes of times that we pray... And we pray for things that God has not explicitly promised in Scripture. Christian, let me just ask you, do you ever pray for things in your life that God has not explicitly promised to give you? Yeah, 
often, right? Many times we do this. So what does it mean that we pray in faith? Well, I think it means that we pray believing that God can answer, that he is capable of answering that prayer, but not necessarily that he will or he must. I think one pastor uh, in a sermon on this text in James puts it well. He said, if prayer, if prayer is no more than a formula, if it's no more than a formula for the Christian, that is simply saying the right words or believing hard enough or confessing that this or that will happen, then he writes, then Christians are back to a type of magic. They can manipulate God or impose their will on him, for he has to answer. He writes, in, in, in contrast, New Testament prayer grows out of a trusting relationship with the Father whose will is supreme. And so why are some of our prayers unanswered? Well, maybe we pray doubting. Maybe we pray not in faith. Or, number five, and uh, this is actually a biggie. I could spend the entire sermon fleshing out reason number five, why, why some of our prayers don't go unanswered. I do go unanswered. And it is because this, because we persist in sin. Because we persist in sin. If you were to read through the scriptures and connect the dots between uh, uh, unanswered prayer and reasons why, this is the overwhelming majority in the Bible. And so I'm just going to give you two examples, but the list could go on and on and on. The first is found in Psalm 18 through 19. The psalmist writes, If I had cherished sin in my heart, what would be the result? He writes, The Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. This makes sense, right? If if prayer uh, to God is us relating to a person, we're, we're praying to a person, it would make sense then that anything in our life that is is sin, that is rebellious sin, that is, in the words of the psalmist, we're cherishing sin, we're harboring it, we're holding on to it, we're not letting God touch it, we're saying, God, this this sin in my life, it's off limits to you. It would make sense that anything like that would not only displease him, but it would distance us, it would disconnect us from him, and it could lead to God saying, no, no. Ponder the words of the prophet Zechariah. These are powerful words. God spoke through the prophet Zechariah concerning the returned exiles from Israel as they returned back to the land. And notice what he said about them. And I think the principle can hold true, starting in verse 11. Zechariah writes, But they refused to pay attention, that is, to God. They refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint, and notice this, and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So what is the consequence then? So the Lord Almighty was very angry when I called, this is God speaking, when I called They did not listen. So when they called, what does it say? I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. 
I recall a time, and I don't remember which child it was, so they're all off the hook, but I remember a time when one of my children were toddlers, and I was telling them, no, don't do that. I was correcting them, or maybe I was telling them to do something they didn't want to do. Regardless of what it was, they responded to me in the way uh, that the people in Zechariah's day did to God's voice and His law. They turned around like this, right? They, they turned their back towards me, and they put their hands over their ears like this, and they said something like, I'm not listening, I can't hear you, right? That sort of thing. That, that is what the people of God were doing. I don't want to hear you, God. I'm not listening, God. I'm going to harbor my sin, God. My heart is hard like stone. And so what does he say is one consequence of when God's people do that. The language is, in 13 is striking. When they called, I didn't listen. So when they call to me, what is he going to do? I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to answer their prayers. Let me just give you some specifics here. There are some specific sins in the Bible that are linked to unanswered prayers. Number one, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, he he links unanswered prayers to an unforgiving spirit. That is, when we hold unforgiveness in our hearts against someone, that that could be a reason that God is not going to answer our prayers. Ezekiel chapter 14, you could just jot these up. Ezekiel chapter 14, we have this this image of um, the elders of Israel coming to the prophet, and God says, should I listen to them? Should I hear their requests? And the answer is no, because they're harboring idols in their hearts. Friends, that's how idolatry in the hearts of God's people Works. We're saying, God, I, I want satisfaction in this more than you. And he says that could cause God to close his ears to us. Proverbs 21. This one's eye-opening. He says, when you shut your eyes, this is my paraphrase, when you shut your eyes to the cry of the poor, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. In other words, if we are aloof and we don't care for people and the needs around them, guess what? God may not care for our needs. 1 Peter 3. Husbands, this one is directly for us. Peter says, Husbands, if you are inconsiderate and if you are disrespectful of your wife, guess what? Your hairs, your hairs, your prayers, maybe your hairs too, I don't know. Your prayers may be hindered. And so, we persist in sin. God doesn't hear our prayers. Number six, This is when you can uh, look in your index if you need to. The book of Habakkuk. The wonderful little book of the prophet Habakkuk. And if you can't, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Number six, a, a sixth reason why God may not answer our prayers is because simply, it's just not in God's timing. It is not in God's timing to say yes to our prayers. The answer is not necessarily no. The answer ultimately will be yes. But it's no for the moment. You could say that this is God saying, wait, if, if you want to think of it in those terms. And the answer will come as you ask, but, but not yet. I think the clearest example of this is the prophet Habakkuk. Here's basically, in a nutshell, what was going on. The prophet Habakkuk prays a prayer, starting in verse 2, to the Lord. And he cries out to the Lord because he's seeing all sorts of evil things amongst the people of God. Verse 2, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Friends, is that, I mean, can you relate to that sometimes in your own prayers? God, I'm crying out to you. I'm calling for help, but you're not listening, right? 
he had been doing this, and apparently God had been saying, no, nothing was happening. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Verse 3, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflicts abound. And so he's saying, God, I'm praying to you. Bad things are happening here. Why don't you do something about it? And we're not going to read the answer, but if you want to, you can. Because uh, on the heels of his request, God essentially says, I hear you. Uh, Here is the answer to your prayer. I am going to send a, a vicious and fierce nation that will cause my people to tremble. The Babylonians. And they are going to clean house. That's my paraphrase. And so he's saying, I'm going to do something about it, Habakkuk. Don't you wait. Don't, don't you worry. I'm going to do something about it. But here's the kicker. He tells him what he's going to do about it. But guess how long it takes until it actually happens? 30 years. 30 years until it actually takes place. And so Habakkuk is saying, God, you're not listening to my prayers. Why don't you do this? And God's saying, I'm going to. I'm going to. The answer is yes, but not now. Not now. And so it may be with some of our prayers that God intends to give us just what we ask for. It is within His will, but the timing is is off. It's not His timing. And then there's a final reason. A final reason, and I find it most encouraging. And it's in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bible still open, you can turn with me to one final text, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul, and he speaks of a time when he had unanswered prayers. The final reason this morning for unanswered prayers is that God may have a purpose in telling us no. There may be a reason. There is a purpose for it. And I think this is the most obvious passage. Here, Paul has prayed three times. God, would you remove this thorn in my flesh three times? And God says no. Starting in the middle of verse 7. Therefore, Paul writes, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And what was his answer? Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, we don't know what this thorn was. What was this thorn in the flesh? Most people think it was some sort of physical illness or malady. Maybe it was bad eyesight or speech impediment or malaria or epilepsy. We don't know, and ultimately it doesn't matter. But what we do know is that Paul, likely like us, he's saying, God, take this out of my life. He kept praying it. And God kept saying, no, no, no. And then he gives him the reason. God's purpose for Paul in the no was to teach God's sustaining and empowering grace to persevere through the trial. To know that God's grace was sufficient. And to know that Paul, in his weakness, that it was actually an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power through him. So here's one example of God saying no to a prayer request because he had something better in mind. Although for Paul it was more uncomfortable. But ultimately it was better. Paul learned about God's sufficient grace and to lean on him. Friends, could this be why? God might be saying no to one of our prayers. Maybe you too have some sort of, you would call it thorn in the flesh. You've begged God to remove it. 
Could it be that he's allowing your prayer to go unanswered for the very same reasons that he did for Paul? I think certainly it could be. And so in closing, we're going to prepare to sing a song, a song of dependence and trust. But it's comforting to me as I think about all of these reasons why God sometimes says no to us. It's comforting for me, and I hope it is for you, to know that we are not the only ones who have ever experienced unanswered prayers. Think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, he was the God-man, fully God, fully man, completely divine and completely human, the perfect human. Did Jesus ever have one of his prayer requests go unanswered? Yes, is the answer, whoever said that. Yes, that's right. We see in places like Luke, for instance, that he is praying, he's agonizing in the garden. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Here, Jesus asked the Father if it was permissible, if it was possible, if it was within his will to take this cup of suffering from him. This drinking, this image from the Old Testament, drinking of the cup of the wrath of God as he was preparing himself to bear the sins of the entire world. And so he says, Father, if it's your will, um, would you remove this cup? But not my will, but, but your will. And he, as we should, submitted to the will of the Father. He did indeed bear God's wrath against our sins. And friends, aren't you glad that Jesus' prayer went unanswered? Aren't you glad? I am forever glad. We should be eternally glad. Because Jesus had an unanswered prayer, he is not only a model for how we should respond when our prayers go unanswered, but his life and his death and his resurrection and, and those of us who have personal faith in him, our union with him enables us, empowers us to trust and obey God in these times when we are knocking on heaven's door and seemingly the door is shut. So why are there unanswered prayers? Well, we've seen seven reasons. But in the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see this is ultimately how we must pray. This is what I want, if you're willing. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray, and we'll close in song. Father, teach us, we pray, from the example of Christ, to submit our will to yours. We recognize, even as we've turned to Scripture, to see reasons why you may say no to our prayers, that certainly the list is not exhaustive. But I pray that you would help us to examine our own hearts and our own lives to see if there may be reasons why you are saying no to us. And may we take comfort in the fact that you are good and faithful and trustworthy and true. And you're working all things according to the purpose of your will. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen.